We'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, Genesis 1 here. If you have a Bible um, printed or other, uh, Genesis 1 is where we'll be. Genesis 1, 26, we'll be looking at the image of God today. Uh, we're in a series going through the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis, um, and they are, uh, man, they are, they are uh, so vital in uh, constructing a, a good, right, real worldview uh, that we have. And, uh, and today, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be able to... Uh, to preach on the, the image of God here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have Bibles uh, that are kind of located under the seats. Feel free to grab one and take one if you don't have one. We want you to have that if there's anything that you, that you, that you need um, to understand what we're doing. It would be a Bible. It uh, would be good. We also have some scripture journals uh, that are out in the, uh, in the lobby there. Um, you, can, you can get those after the service. We'd ask that you maybe just toss five bucks in the basket there to offset the cost for us. And what these are is, uh, is they're just, uh, it's just the English Standard Version Bible. You get the text on one side, you get some notes on the other side. It's really helpful if you don't want to write in your Bible or whatever. Uh, so you can grab some of those, uh, and if, you have, if you're using that, we'll be in the same verse as Genesis. Uh, Genesis 1 26 is where we will uh, is where we'll start. We believe that the uh, that the word of God uh, is uh, is weighty, uh, it is glorious, and it is uh, it is worthy of reverence. So uh, to condition our hearts, uh, one of the practices we have is that we stand as we read the word of God to acknowledge that He is to be revered. So if you are physically able, I'd ask that you stand as we read uh, the words uh, of God as He reveals Himself in Genesis 1:26. Through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So there's an expression we have uh, called keeping up with the Joneses. Um, keeping up with the Joneses, it means you're, uh, you know, you're just trying to be as good or better as everybody else. Um, one of the ways, when I think this, I'm sorry, I realize that I talk about my lawn so much, it's so ridiculous, but I'm going there again. Um, and uh, so, uh, so we, we have, uh, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, this is, so one of our deacons, Andy, he lives next door to me, and so he's one of my Joneses. Um, and so, uh, so uh, I think my lawn's looking great, oftentimes, maybe too great, maybe arrogantly too great. And then Andy mows. And then instantly I'm thinking from one day, well, I drive away and I look and I'm like, you are a good homeowner and drive away. And I come back home and he has mowed somehow um, to spite me. And I get home and I'm like, you are not a good homeowner. Your yard looks like a jungle. And, uh, and so like instantly because of what the Joneses, Andy Seiler has done, uh, man, this is vindictive. Uh, 
what he has done. And he's out there. I can see him. He's rocking his baby out in the foyer. This is, so, this is low blow. Um, the, uh, so uh, what I find out is that my identity has completely changed because of what someone else has done. And I, I hear this, you know, elsewhere. I hear this, you know, in counseling. I hear this just with my wife and I as we talk about different things. You know, you go to the, the playground. If you have kids, you go to the playground, and it's all great, wonderful, and, and, then, and the kid, you know, melts down or, you know, needs a diaper change, and it's, and it's a tragedy, whatever. And all of a sudden, you have this scene, and you go from thinking, I'm great, and we're going to the park, to now everyone is watching how awful I am. Meltdown in a grocery store. Those are fun. Uh, it changes your identity of, of, of who you are. Uh, maybe if, you, if you, you do some public speaking, maybe at, at, at work or you do a presentation and it doesn't go so well. It's not so maybe that the content wasn't that great, but, 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 but what everyone thinks of you and how they respond, all of a sudden you have something that you're worried about. I mean, fantasy sports are great about this, uh, is, that, uh, is that you really are a, a horrible person. And you're supposed to do You're supposed to trash talk each other a lot in fantasy sports. If you don't, you should start doing that now. Your pastor told you to do that now. Oh, this is, good. This is going nowhere. Um, you, you, and, and, and you have this, this thing, what, what is going on here? Our sports teams, how about that? Would they go well or they don't go well? Who wins the game we win the game. Who loses the game? They lose the game. So we have a disassociation because we want to be with the victors. We, we use that language. And so what I'm trying to illustrate here is something that's very common in us every day is that our society oftentimes plays in a lot to how we view our own identity. We look out around us to who we are, and it shapes who we are. There is a reality there, and sometimes that's a good thing. We leverage that for good here when we say we're all going to stand as sinners and confess, we're leveraging that same idea so that we identify like, oh, wait, okay, we're all here. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but, but that doesn't always go well. And, and I think that if we go too far with this keeping up with the Joneses, if that's kind of what happens, and it does, we're in suburbia, so that happens like exponentially more than, than anywhere else. That's a big deal. And it's a big deal because ultimately it amounts to nothing. You know, ultimately, it's not a good guide because if we go with society, let's go back to society 50 years ago. That's a very different definition of what a successful human being is. Let's go back 100 years ago. Let's go back 500 years. It changes. It's constantly changing what that definition of successful human being is. Why would we do that? Why would we go for something that changes so often, so much? The author of Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet, the preacher, he calls this vanity. And the word he uses is the same word for vanity as he uses for smoke. This is just smoke. We create this whole audience of, of smoke. And then we become as good. When we, when we breathe that in, we just become as good as the smoke that's there. We need something bigger. We need something heavier. We need something more lasting, more, more durable, more weighty. Genesis frames us up that way. Genesis does something to our understanding of our identity that's well beyond what society is saying. It's going to say, it's, oh, it doesn't matter what your neighbor is or how you compare to your neighbor. Put all the noise aside, we're going to focus on who your real identity is. You have an identity because God. You have an identity because you're not God. And you have dignity because a God decided to make you and give you that dignity. Oh, that is amazing. So what I want to do today 
is I want to I, I actually, it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit of a different sermon. It feels different to me. Uh, I, I kind of want to just kind of paint this picture. What is the image of God? What is this thing? And how does this play out? And how does Christ speak to this? And what does it mean for a Christian? And a hope that we can kind of pause on the noise and, and, and hit reset and, and kind of go back to the basics here. As Genesis is the beginning. I say, what is my identity and how does that play out? And why was I given this identity? And how should it play out? And so I, that's a big question that I want you to, to wrestle with as we do this. But I'm going to paint a picture here using the text here, going through Scripture, and seeing what, what is this image of God? So, okay, this is, uh, if you're taking notes, this is actually a five-point sermon. Uh, uh, so here's point one. Uh, God created man in his image. This is pretty obvious. Uh, God created man in his image. This is verses 26 and 27. I'll read it again. Then God said, um, oh, but that, that word here, if you weren't here last week, we talked about this a bunch, but I want to just reinforce it because it's, it's a big deal right here as well. The word for God is uh, Elohim. It's the Hebrew word for Elohim. It's a plural word. So it's like gods. It's not saying all the gods did this, but it's saying God has some kind of plurality. So I'm just going to speed that up. The Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit are there in the beginning. In the name God, in the Hebrew, they understand this is more than one person. This is a plurality. This Trinity, this God, so that's the word behind verse, uh, verse 26. Then God, Elohim, said, let us, there we go. That's why he says, let us, because it's plural. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he says, here's our intent. This is the divine intention. This is what we want to do. God says, I want to create something that glorifies me. And that glory is going to come from me disclosing myself and my glories here. Uh, Psalm 8, I think we read some of that uh, uh, today. Uh, go there. Just look at how glorious God is. He reveals himself to us in his creation. And so he's creating. We talked about this last week. He creates these, you know, canvases or these buckets. And he says, here are the waters. Here is the sky. Here is the earth. Here are the heavens. He's creating these things and he's filling them up. Right now, where we're reading in this text is we're on day six. We're on the second half of day six. So at the beginning of day six, he creates the living creatures, the creeping things, the beasts. He's filling up, you know, that bucket, that bucket called the, 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 the what is it? The firmament, I think is what he says. This is, this is the earth. He's filling it up. He puts some animals there. And then he pauses and takes a breath and he says, all right, now we're going to swell. The creation song is going to come to its climax. And here is what I have. The image of God is going to go right in here. And this is amazing what happens. It says the image of God is going to go here. Here's my intention. Now I'm going to create. Now, if you have a Bible, most Bibles should do this. I know the scripture journals do. ESV does. Um, you see how all the words kind of fill the column? And then when you go to verse 27, it doesn't. It's kind of like that weird, it's poetry. That's why. Uh, it's because it's poetry. The other is prose, and then this is poetry. There's narrative, and then poetry. The song of creation comes to its climax in a song. Isn't that great? How, how poetic is that? And so we get this song, and that song is, and then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is the capstone. There it is. Right there at the top of all this, if there is something you remember from this entire work of creation, the very top of it, man in God's image. Here it is. And he's going to do something with this. He's going to do something with 
man. Man is special. We'll find this out in the next couple of verses. But I want to pause here and ask this question. Okay, if we're going to use this language, image of God. What is the image of God? Now, this is a historically a very big discussion. Um, but for the sake of time, I, I think we can discuss it kind of uh, pretty simply here. Um, there's, a, uh, there's an author here, uh, Andrew Davis. He writes in, a, it's like a, a Gospel Coalition little booklet on creation. Uh, I have a bunch of them. If, if you'd be interested in kind of looking at one, I, I could post one on our, our Facebook um, page. They have a PDF of it. It's, it's fascinating just to read a very concise understanding of what is creation through all of the Bible mean. But in this, he, he has a very concise, uh, a very accessible definition. He says, the image of God, here you go, note takers, um, there are two significant ways in which humanity stands as the image of God. Okay, so two ways in which we image God. One is in our nature, and the other is in our position. So in our nature and in our position. So in our nature, there, there, there are a couple ways this happens. We're like God in certain capabilities, um, things like the ability to think, uh, the ability to, uh, to emote uh, and, and, and kind of even explore you know, the emotions that we have. Uh, he says, so there's the, the capabilities that we have, but then there are also the attributes. Uh, so there are the attributes, you know, of God. Um, things like righteousness and uh, holiness, justice, love, uh, those things that we know of God. Now, I want to go, like, way into the attributes of God. I have to, just for the sake of our time, kind of outsource that. We're going to have an equipping hour uh, here, uh, starting in, uh, I think, October 20th. Uh, and, uh, and that'll be theology proper. Five weeks, we're going to be looking at God. One of those weeks is going to go into, um, you know, not as deeply as we'd want to because of sake of time, uh, they're infinite. Um, yeah, we're going to go into the attributes of God and kind of, kind of work that. I'd really push you toward that. It's going to be uh, just phenomenal time. Jamie Schrader is going to be, be leading us through that. Uh, it'll be so good to explore who is God as we understand that we are to image him uh, who is this God that we are an image of? But uh, one, one th way that maybe I would, uh, that's, that's in the future, but one of the ways that I would maybe point you today is um, A.W. Tozier has a, has a great, uh, great couple of volumes, um, just books on uh, the attributes of God. Uh, those, are, those are just wonderful. Um, I think the book is called The Attributes of God. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy there. Um, yeah, he, he shot it straight there. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. He just goes through a bunch of them and understands uh, what it is, and really applies it. Like, how, okay, is this one for us? Is this one that we're supposed to do? And it helps you kind of work through that. So we are like God in our capabilities, kind of like an ability to think or, um, or the attributes of God in the way uh, that he is. And so we're put there for that. We are created in his image. But then there's this one that we also are in his image because of our position in the world. And that's maybe I want to move to the next point in the next verse uh, here. This is uh, the point two. God created man for a purpose. Now, this is probably the big point of, of Genesis that I, that I really want to emphasize, is that we could get lost in the weeds asking the question of Genesis, you know, what are we? Um, I feel like it's, we're created. I, I just stop there, and then we kind of get in the weeds, uh, how that all happens or whatever. The big question Genesis is trying to answer is, why are we created? Not what are, like, what are we, but why are we why did God do this? Why did God put this into motion? What is the purpose of all this? 
And this is the big thing. This is why we need to go here, is because if we don't understand, that's what the message of the Bible is. Why this? Why this way? Why us? Why Jesus? Why redemption? Why God? Why any of this? If we don't have those questions answered, then we are going to just live a life keeping up with the Joneses, and then they can just answer the questions for us. Smoke. God created man for a purpose. So, verse 28, here it is. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, uh, of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Okay, so if you want to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline, Be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth, subdue, and have dominion. There's the purpose. That's the purpose that we are given as the image of God, but that's not unique. Not all of that is unique. Look back, however that would be for you, uh, to verse 22. Because there were a bunch of other creatures made, and God says exactly some of those same things. Be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the waters of the earth. So what happens here is, so what's the same? Be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is the same thing. All of creation is to do this. It's to show that God is a God of life, that life happens in God's good ways, that life is what he is going for. He always wants this. Um, and, and, and this is what happens when he is around, life is around. And so that's something that's happening there. But then these people, this image of God has something different and unique. Subdue it, have dominion over it. With these words, subdue it and have dominion over it, God creates a boundary. God does this a lot. He creates boundaries that are good for us. He creates boundaries in our morality of where we can, where we can go and where we can't go, but he also creates boundaries in our roles and our authority. And so here he's creating this, this boundary. So, okay, we're just going to put people like here. And he says, subdue and have dominion over everything else. Creation is lower than us. We are not one with the universe. Uh, we, we, we are not uh, on the same level as, 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 as the animals, as, as our pets. This isn't the same thing. We are above that. that. That should do something for us. Like, there, there are theological things that, I mean, it's not necessary for me to go into details. We need to understand our role above creation. And it's not so much that it's just, you know, hey, this is ours, we do what we want. We're, we're, we're there to steward it, sub, subdue and have dominion over it. So we are there. But I, I want to make sure that as we get that, that, that's a good one to understand I also want to like the implicit one then is also we got to look up then as well because that's a big part of this image of God is, is we also need to understand that, that we are not God because I think we could just assume if we read this, oh, we're in the image of God. Oh, we're little gods walking around and the earth does whatever we want and we've been given it. It's just because we're entitled and awesome. That, that's, not how, that's not how it's working. God is utterly other is one of, the, one, of, one of the terms we can use. Utterly other. He is infinitely other than us. We, we cannot grasp that. And so there, there, there's creation. There's this kind of capstone of creation, us, who's to rule over it. And then there is God who's way up there. And we have been given a privilege to complete creation in its relationship, in the way that it works, that we, we have authority over it. We, we, we rule over it. We, we take care of it. We have dominion 
over it. Uh, I am gonna. I am gonna go here. Um, okay, so this is a folder. I was gonna use a mirror because that'd be really nice to have image and whatever. And then I realized I would blind all of you if I did that. Let's imagine this is a mirror. I know this is really weird. Um, so, uh, so what he does is he says that that if you are in the middle here, I'm just gonna give you the mirror, and and God's up there. What you are doing, your job, is to subdue and have dominion over the earth. Your job is to reflect that image of God. Because where is that authority? Where is that power? It's up there. It's not yours. You were created. He is uncreated. So he's the one with the power and the authority. You are to hold this at a nice 45 degree angle so everyone could see. And God is up there and his attributes go through you. That's how you should view yourself. I hope that's helpful if you think that sometimes. I mean, that, that, that could be helpful. You, you, you go like that and it goes out. And, and all of creation, you know, the, maybe the other people or creation itself gets to see what, who is God and who is in control here? Who is going on? That's a lot less of me and a lot more of reflecting. That's, that's my job is to reflect who he is. And, and does he, does he uh, just say, hey, just do that? No, he, he generously supplies us, adequately supplies us for this task. Let's read the rest of the, uh, the passage here, and then we'll kind of interact with this a bit. And, and God, uh, where are we at? 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then I'll summarize uh, uh, verse 30, and then all of the other animals can eat all of the green plants. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There it is. There's his seal of approval. God puts morality into it. How do we know what's good? Because God is good and he decides it's good. He says, this way of doing, this is good. This is how it should be. He adequately supplies us with creation so that we can carry out the task. And the task is to reflect him. And another way we could say it is to glorify him by making much of him. We reflect who God is. That's it. I wish I could just be like, okay, now we're on the same page, guys. But something happens here. I, I, I want to be mindful to stay in Genesis, but I feel in this one, we, we, we really do need to kind of see how this one plays out because that doesn't land us where we're at now. So what happens in the course of history, what happens in the course of the Bible, same thing, uh, is, uh, is that though God supplies us for the task, here's what Adam and Eve do. Here's what many of the others in the Bible do, and here's what, I'll just land it here, what you and I do, is we take this, and we think this is awesome, and we see that creation is there to, to help us, to glorify God. And then we kind of get a peek. And we just kind of turn it this way a little bit. And we kind of look good. And we kind of want everyone to see us. And all of a sudden, we're doing this. And all of a sudden, we take the resources we've been given. And we think, hey, it's because I'm the king. It's because this is my dominion, right? And we change that. Maybe another way to do it. Uh, look at God, but make sure my fingerprint's there so you can see God through. Make sure, and we get greedy, and we want to make sure he sees our identity. Our fingerprints are there, and we smudge the whole thing up so now we can't really see who God is. I don't know. Those are two similar but different ways, but hopefully one of those could be helpful for you when you decide to turn the mirror. And then what happens is we get really confused because we're not quite sure when we look in that mirror who, which one of us is God and which one of us is the creation. 
And it gets really, really confusing. Uh, Romans 1, 21 is on the screen. Uh, 1, 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor, God, uh, not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, here's the mirror turn, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's what we do. We love it. We love ourselves. We think, we think that we have power and dominion and authority for our own good, for our own glory, and that's not right. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, we think that our kids are there to prove that we're good parents. That's a small way in which we could fuse that. We think that, I mean, whether, it, whether, they get, uh, whether they obey at the playground, whether they get really good grades in college, whether they have successful lives and careers beyond that, that's a big, big deal. To glory be to God or glory to be to our family name? That's a tough one. Uh, with, our, with our relationships, with our, with our friends, why do we have those friends? Is it to feed us? Is it to gather bits of creation, other little gods, and, and, and lump them together so we can, can, so we can fashion us? Oh, I, I really like uh, your, your personality, so I'm going to incorporate that into my godness, and I, and I really like uh, your, uh, your, your giving, your, your selflessness. I'm going to incorporate that, and I'm going to model you in different ways, and so we think of people. Who's the most selfless person you know? That's great if you just identified them, but if you are trying to be them, then you are turning this to creation, and you are trying to become the world around you. That's why, uh, that's why sports figures, famous people, that's why they can write books. I don't really care what a baseball player has to say about morality because their job is to play baseball. But for some reason, because they're famous, and we forgot that the mirror turned they can speak to my morality. Go to someone who's professional in understanding what's right and wrong, and maybe they'll speak to that. But for some reason, if you get famous, you have a claim on truth because we've turned the mirror. And it's all vanity. It's all smoke. It's not real. We need something better than that. And here's where this gets intense. And this is where we turn to just <laughs> bottom. <laughs> the bottom drops out. The reality is that, uh, I don't know, uh, some fun words. The form forms the former. There we go. Uh, the form forms the former. So uh, we create things like forms. We express ourselves in a way. When I do something, the way that I'm preaching is a form of preaching. And so we, we put forward something from ourselves. Uh, if I create something out of Play-Doh, then I'm creating a form and expression of something. You know, we all give us a piece of Play-Doh and say, make a tree. We're all going to have a different looking trees, so we all have slightly different forms of the tree. Does this make sense? And so we have this form. So we put this out there, but there's something that we don't, we don't understand is that expressing, expressing ourselves and expression isn't just something that just goes out. It comes back. <laughs> it forms us. We're the former, and it forms us. So as we sing songs to God today, we're also being formed to sing songs to God. As we confess our sins today, we're understanding that we are sinners, and it's forming us to more regularly, rightly confess our sins. It's forming us. This is the beauty of, like the churchy word is, liturgy. This is the thing that we do every morning, is that we go through these things. Every church in America this morning is being formed somehow. Uh, it's just the question is how intentionally to the gospel. 
What we do is changing how we do it. When we go through whatever that fast food line is all the time, it forms us. I mean, physically it forms us. Uh, but it also, it also forms us to habituate us in how we think about time and money and health. It's doing that. The more we do it, the more we're okay with maybe things one way or the other. And so it's not just this thing that's happening. We're like, oh, yeah, we just changed it. Here we go. It's actually changing us. I spent a whole long time just to... Uh, quote Psalm 150, uh, 115. So we've got it on the screen. Uh, Psalm 115, four through eight. I'll just give you the beginning and the end. I guess I'll, I'll read the middle there for the fun of it. Um, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, that do not, uh, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Uh, and they, uh, they have feet, but do not walk. And though they have mouths, they do not make a sound in their throat. And here's then verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Well, we create the image of God that we are trying to put forward. The image of us that we're trying to put forward is ultimately going to do something to us. A very easy application of this or illustration of this would be Facebook. It shapes us. It shapes us. Society shapes us. Social media, Instagram, any of those. It's, it's teaching us how to be. And the more we're in it, the more we want to be like it. Those who make them become like them. So whatever maybe our social profile is online or on paper, whatever uh, maybe our, 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 our resume may look like, whatever our... Uh, our home and tidiness there may look like to the neighbors around. There's something we're doing that involves our understanding of who God is and how we are his image or not. And where it's at, at that point, we're looking the wrong way and the mirror's smudgy. And then we turn the corner into the New Testament. Oh, it's always good to turn the corner to the New Testament. Christ is the perfect image. You see, the language happens here. If you, if you have a Bible and you want to go there, Colossians 1 is where we're going to end up here. Um, uh, we'll also have it on the screen. But uh, what, what happens here is that in Genesis, we hear this, this image of God language, right? And then, and then we're going to get this in, uh, I think it's in uh, something like Genesis 5-1-ish. We're going to get the image of God language. And then Genesis 9, we get the image of God language. And then Babel happens and, and, and God's like, okay, we're done with this thing. And the images all become these idols. And he just withdraws. Like you just see a silence in it. Just go to some concordance or whatever, just online Bible gateway, type in image of God. And then you'll see there's a silence there. It just goes away for the rest of the, the Old Testament. And God's divine presence is somewhere. He says, you're going to know me because I'm going to be here now. You guys are just blowing it. <laughs> and then we get to Jesus, who is God and he brings that divine presence in there with the image of God, and he weaves these back together, and he says, okay, we're going to do this, and I'm going to clarify what it is. Jesus does not reinvent the image of God language. He clarifies what's going on with, with, the, with, with our inadequacy, with our, with, our, with our bad motives here. Okay, it's been up there long enough. I'll read it because it is fantastic. <laughs> uh, Colossians 1. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. <laughs> Jesus is big deal. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God says, my divine presence is going to be here incarnate with you. And he says, I am going to be the image of God here with you. The, uh, as we, when we make something, uh, we, we, we paint a picture. We're going to look at the landscape, the original, and we're going to paint it, the image, right? We're going to look at the original, and then we're going to make the image. Jesus, right here, is saying he was not created. It, Jesus was not created. He, he was the firstborn. He was before all things. He's the firstborn of creation. Uh, this, this goes to Romans, uh, Romans 8. It connects it, the uh, firstborn of creation, so that we have redemption in him. So Jesus comes, and he is the original. He is God, is what it's saying, and he also reflects God. So I'll boil it all the way down. Jesus is a human being who shows us how to rightly reflect God. Jesus is also that God. That's crazy. Jesus comes, and he says, no, no, no. Let's clean that up. There we go. We got it. Because he could step in the place of sinful humanity and say, hey, no, look at me. Well, you are looking at God, and now I'm the guy who can turn this. Through his blood, he can reconcile us. He can forgive us. And that's what Jesus does. I don't want, to, I don't want you to think, oh, now we have a new image of God because of Jesus. No, we have a reconciled relationship because we have turned from that image. We choose to go away from God. We choose to show us as king, as God, as authoritative. We choose to take the earth and create things that make us awesome. And in Christ, the true image, he goes before us and he dies. His blood satisfies Christ or satisfies God's justice. And we can be right with him. We can be seen as holy that we have chosen not to be. That is what he does. And then he gives us this gift. We can read on here. Um, Verse 18, uh, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus is not created, but rather he is spoken of as the head, as the one going before us to show us the pattern of the way to be. And he gives us this gift because Jesus says, this is how you become, this is how you rightly reflect God and now I'm going to go back to heaven. And what do we do there? When our example's gone, Jesus says, oh, here's another image. And this is where we get so many images of the church in the Bible. He says, you are going to be, it's right up there, you are going to be my body. We now have a clear, perfect image, Jesus Christ, and we can be him. We can look to him and be like him because we are Jesus Christ. We are the head of uh, we are the body of Christ. There are so many other illustrations there, but if uh, we are the body of Christ, we uh, are uh, uh, wives and husbands, there is an image of how we understand Christ. Parents and children, there's an image of how we understand Christ and reflecting this image. Uh, masters and slaves, there is a, there's an image of how we do this. But even with the church, he says, you are my body, but you are also my bride. And there is an image for how we understand how we live out Christ Today. And when we look to Christ, 
when we do the things of Christ, when we reflect God's attributes and his capabilities, when we reflect his heart and his passions, his desires, his wills, when we look to Jesus, we find, uh, I think this is just zooming ahead to uh, uh, a little bit further there in Colossians, Colossians 3, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We see that in Jesus. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one another has a complaint with, against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Right there's the reflection. Do these things as the Lord has done them for you. Jesus is the invisible God. Jesus created all things. He commissions us to be the physical representation of his body, and this is how the image is seen today. So I have uh, uh, maybe a couple uh, just questions. Uh, a couple uh, implications as we, as we think through how, how we work this out today, because this is all a big story, of, 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 of a true story of how the image of God is played out and how we need Christ to have that clear view of that mirror toward God. I think one of the things we know is that uh, our identity precedes uh, our vocation or our work is that before we do anything, we see this, verses 26, 27, before we do anything, subdue the earth and have dominion, before we do anything, we are told who we are. This means something for us. Before you do anything, you have dignity in God. Before you do anything, before, before we go out to exercise, before we go and see our body image has fallen apart or the world has told us our body image falls apart, we have dignity with God. Before we go and our, and our career uh, may not go the way we had hoped, or this thing doesn't pan out, or, or our finances aren't where they want to be, before we go out and do, it says right here that we have an identity, that God loves us, that he, that he finds dignity in us. And I think that takes us to the next, the next point here, is that uh, God's image makes us think and maybe reconsider the idea of dignity and equality. Because we are, we, we are above the animals, but we are lower than God. There is no hierarchy here between the people. We're all equal. We all have dignity. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he doesn't go in and he says, Oh, you pagans, you're all terrible. Jesus goes in to the religious people, and he says, What is wrong with you? You guys think that you're better than everybody else. That's what he does, right? All through the Gospels. We do wrong if we then think, I am the image of God so I must be better. There is, a, there is equality that happens when we see that there is a dignity with everyone. This plays out in human life. Uh, this plays out in age, that our children aren't actually less dignified than us. Sometimes we talk to them that way, but it, it should change that. They're, brother, they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're all the image of God. We need to treat people differently that way. Uh, people who think differently than us uh, different races, different social classes. I think sometimes we think of benevolence as the haves giving to the have-nots as opposed to the image of God and the people reconciled by Christ generously stewarding, generously helping each other out, welcoming each other in. I wonder what would happen uh, if, if, we, if we did an audit of our church and an audit of the way we do things uh, as a people of God here at the North Campus, if we thought of people as the image of God, every single person that comes in here is the image of God. 
bears the image of God. And rather than making someone a Christian or, or, or making someone uh, uh, aligned to our, uh, the way that we do church here, what if we spoke to each other as Christ speaks to us and say, oh, brother, sister, your sin is just that you're pointing to the wrong person. What if we talked about our sin that way in the image of God kind of language? I don't know. I don't know what would happen, but I wonder. Uh, and the last one here. Uh, what if we thought of ourselves rightly, not with authority and power, but with representative authority and power? As God has put us out throughout his kingdom, as images, extending his dominion, extending his power, he didn't give us the authority to rule. He gave us the authority to rule on his behalf. What if when we were offended, we were offended because someone perpetrated God, not us? Rather than getting mad that someone lied to us, we were grieved that someone spoke not truth of God. That's different when we discipline our kids. That's different when we go to each other. We might think differently about slander and gossip if we understand that we are all in the image of God. Christians, though, distinctly are the image of God that has been reconciled to God. They've been forgiven for not showing that image well. We are to glorify God, and in Christ we are forgiven and shown a better way. And that is what starts this language of image of God. We're going to see this have huge resonances through uh, Genesis. We're going to see this go through the whole Bible as we have, but it means something for us. If we're left looking around to the Joneses and keeping up with the Joneses, if we're, if we're left to understand ourselves in relation to what we see around us, it's just going to be smoke. It's going to be nothing. But if we look to a God who is reality, who creates reality, who redeems reality, who invites us again and again and resources us to do this well, it's a different task. It's a different view. And it changes the way we view each other and changes the way we interact with our society. So let's turn now to prayer. Uh, pray that God can help us as we, uh, as we image him rightly in the world around us. God, you call us to a big task. You call us to a big um, opportunity. You give us much, and we turn from you often. We use it incorrectly. Please forgive us of that. Please help us to understand what this means. Please help us to, to, to take this uh, into our, into our uh, individual relationships, into, into our understanding of ourself, and ask good questions. Whose image am I, am I creating? Whose image am I reflecting? Is it God? Is it others? Please help us to have the discipline and the humility to, uh, to reduce ourselves that you might be seen more clearly. And in that, I pray that you would affirm us when we're doing it rightly by giving us rest. That we don't have to prove something, but that you love us, you've given us dignity, and you've given us a purpose, a simple purpose to reflect you. Give us rest in that task. Give us focus and clarity in that task.